Well, good morning and welcome to Community Bible Church. We're so glad to have you all with us this morning. Um, as we have each week, we're going to start with our first song, Christ Assurance City Anchor, um, this week. So if you would, stand. And we're just going to jump right in. Christ Assurance City Anchor, let's all worship together this morning. Christ the sure and steady anchor in the fury of the storm. When the winds of doubt blow through me and my sins have all been torn. In the suffering, in the sorrow, when my sinking hopes are few, I will hold shall never be
Let's bow together before the Lord in prayer. Father, you know the celebrations that we've participated in this week, commemorating your gift to us of political freedom in our country. Lord, we acknowledge you as the one who controls history. And so you are the one who directed the affairs of men to found our nation and to establish it with the understanding that rights come from you, not apart from you. And it's our creator who endowed all people with certain inalienable rights among these, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. But in our sin, we have redefined freedom away from being under God to being in place of God, and we are seeing its effects. The freedom that you give assumes moral responsibility, and yet we now live in a society that is no longer tethered to you and your truth, responsible to no one and no thing but our own whimsical desires. Father, we need your aid to think clearly about this moment in history and our role in it. We desperately need to repair the foundations of political freedom by seeing more and more people experience the spiritual freedom that the Lord Jesus alone provides when he sets captives free and rescues us from bondage to sin. We thank you, our Redeemer, our soul's liberator, for the freedom we have in Christ. And so we've come to celebrate today, not Independence Day, but our dependence on the God who made us and our relationship with the Savior who bought us. We ask that you will be pleased with everything that we say and do, and we ask all of these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and all of God's people said, amen. Thank you, and please be seated. I add my welcome to that which you've heard already from Anthony. Welcome one and all to our worship service on this Lord's Day. Pastor Larry is going to come in just a moment with our announcements, but I wanted to take a few minutes to introduce our guest speaker for today. We are delighted to have Jeremy Pitsley uh, with us. Uh, Jeremy is our missionary to Kenya, one of two missionaries actually that we support in Kenya. His uh, wife, Jenny, and uh, their three children are not able to be with us. One of the children, at least, is not feeling well, so Jenny is at home taking care. So we're sorry that we're not able to, to have her here. But delighted to have Jeremy. As I say, there are missionaries to Kenya where they train men and women for the Lord's work. Now, two things about <clears throat> uh, Jeremy and Jenny. One, they are two of the sweetest and nicest people you'll ever meet. So I hope that after we are finished, you'll take some time to greet Jeremy and let him know we're praying for him and that we appreciate him being with us today, and you'll find that. So two of the sweetest people, but also two of the smartest people you're ever going to meet. Uh, they are like high-level smart. They don't come off that way but because they're unassuming, but like Mensa level. Now, I tell you all that for two reasons. One, to embarrass Jeremy, but also to say how really grateful we are to partner with servants who are faithful to the Lord and who have chosen to use their considerable talents for the one who gave them. So Jeremy is going to come and preach just a little bit later, and then he's going to give a brief update about their work there in Kenya. And I want to remind our parents and our teenagers that at the time the preaching starts, for these next four weeks, up until we begin in August, our regular complement of two services, 
we're allowing our teens to have their own class. So they're in here with us for the singing, and then when the preaching starts for the last several weeks and for the next four, then they'll be dismissed. That's for every teen that is going into sixth grade and then through, uh, through 12th grade. I'd like to say, I'd like to say welcome as well uh, to all of our CBCers, as well as any guests that we have with us this morning to worship the Lord together. We're glad that you could be with us this morning, and especially if you're our guest today for the first time, we would know you a little better. We want to make it easy for you to get to know us, and so we've made that possible by using uh, texting. You can see on the screen in just a moment probably the keyword CBC Connect that you can text to the number 97,000. If you'd like to know anything more about CBC, or you have questions about any of the announcements that I'm about to go through, by texting CBC Connect to the number 97,000. And as well, if you're our guest for the first time or if, it's, uh, if you've only been here a few times and you've never done what I'm about to describe, we'd invite you to stop by our welcome desk just out here in our cafe community area. And we have a gift that we'd like to give you to say thanks for being with us. And so thank you uh, for joining us for worship this morning. Just want to remind you of a couple of things uh, that we have going on around CBC resources that we have available. Uh, first of all is our weekly podcast called That's a Good Question. comes out every Saturday at 2, and so we had another new episode yesterday. And uh, in yesterday's episode, we discuss a very practical question submitted by a viewer, and that is, what does the Bible teach about cremation? So maybe something you've never thought about. And uh, interesting topic, worth thinking about what does the Bible say about this. So do take a look or a listen if you haven't already. And uh, if you haven't, subscribe to that on YouTube or your favorite podcast app. And you'll know every week when we have a new episode out. As well, our blog, Church Matters, had a new article on Friday. And its title was Our Declaration of Dependence. And this reminds us, this article reminds us of the various implications of God's grace to us in the salvation that he's provided by grace through Jesus Christ. And so be sure to check that out as well if you haven't already. And then I just wanted to remind you that a couple of things coming up. Um, normally we have community first and third Sundays of every month. And uh, we're off community groups tonight because of the holiday. But we will be resuming our community groups. The next meeting is July 18th. And if you're not a part of a community group, I encourage you to consider getting involved in one. You can find out more about that by either texting the keyword or by just checking out our website. We've got details there. And then as well, this coming Friday is the next meeting of our men's ministry, uh, men's fraternity. And I believe they'll be meeting here at 7 p.m. in the ministry center. And I think they may still also have a online version if you're not able to make it in person. And so you can check that out at our website. Just click on the, the men's fraternity banner there on the website and you'll get all the details and can join the groups that you have a link to the, the online meeting if you need it. And then I wanted to remind all of you, I've been making announcements over the past several weeks about our senior high camp. That is this week. So we actually will be leaving on Wednesday of this week. Clay and Laney have made a, a great plan for the teenagers. I'm riding along to help out, uh, be, be an uh, extra set of hands for them. And we're looking forward to a great time in Pentwater, Michigan, for our teens, and uh, just as I've said in previous weeks, camp is such an important time to develop community in our group, to build relationships with the kids that will benefit them in many ways throughout the coming year and their time in our youth group. So we appreciate your prayers 
as we uh, travel this week and as we spend time together. And that's all for the things that are coming up. This is the part of the service where uh, I remind us that we who are members here at CBC have joined together for partnership in ministry. And one of the ways that we do that is by giving of the material resources that uh, the Lord has blessed us with. And uh, we purpose to set aside a portion of all that he's entrusted to us each week to devote to his work here at CBC. And uh, as I said earlier, if you're our guest here, um, we're glad that you could worship with us. We didn't invite you here to ask for money, but I do remind those of us who've joined together at CBC that there's a couple ways you can give. You can give online uh, at our website, cbctrenton.com. If you're watching online, you can do that right there by the, uh, with the give button by the viewer you're watching on. You can give through the Church Center app, which is our uh, church app. There's a give button in the main menu. And then as well, we have physical donation boxes here. There's one in the lobby by the welcome desk, and then there's one outside of the office doors that can be accessed all week long. I want to turn our attention now to God's Word. Our scripture reading this morning will be from Exodus chapter 34. I'll begin reading in verse 1. God's Word says, The Lord said to Moses, Chisel out two stone tablets like the first ones, and I will write on them the words that were on the first tablets which you broke. Be ready in the morning, and then come up on Mount Sinai. Present yourself to me there on top of the mountain. No one is to come with you or be seen anywhere on the mountain. Not even the flocks and herds may graze in front of the mountain. So Moses chiseled out two stone tablets like the first ones and went up on Mount Sinai early in the morning as the Lord had commanded him. And he carried the two stone tablets in his hands. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. Moses bowed down to the ground at once and worshipped. Lord, he said, if I have found favor in your eyes, then let the Lord go with us. Although this stiff-necked people, this is a stiff-necked people, forgive our wickedness and our sin and take us as your inheritance. Then the Lord said, I am making a covenant with you. Before all of your people, I will do wonders never before done in any nation in all the world. The people you live among will see how awesome is the work that I, the Lord, will do for you. Now let's stand to sing and worship the Lord together again before our message from his word. gift of grace is Jesus my Redeemer. There is no more for heaven now to give. He is my joy, my righteousness and freedom, my steadfast love, my deep and boundless peace. To this I hold. Is only Jesus. 
morning. It is a delight, a uh, privilege uh, to have an opportunity to speak God's Word uh, this morning. I will be looking at Psalm 86. wanted to go ahead and start with an update about our ministry in Kenya. I believe the last time we were here was actually uh, 2019. So we don't actually plan to be here every uh, two years, uh, but the Lord uh, has brought some significant changes uh, along the way, uh, so we thought that it would be a good idea for us to, um, for us to report to the churches 
uh, that are, are with us. So uh, just to give you a, a reminder of who I am, uh, we serve in Kenya. As uh, Pastor Ken mentioned, uh, our job is uh, to train national pastors, Kenyan pastors. Uh, the stage of the game in Kenya, the, the maturity of the mission field of Kenya is such that most of our concentration there is not going to be directly on church planting. We do believe that church planting is at the center of the mission that Christ has given his church. Uh, and yet we also feel that there comes a stage where Kenyan church planters are going to be much more effective at that mission than outsiders are. Uh, and yet, with 70,000 churches in Kenya, there is a desperate need for leadership uh, training. And so that is our task. And we seek to do that task and have always sought to do that task in the context of local church ministry. Uh, if you have opportunity at some point uh, to, to take a look at the pastoral qualifications in 1 Timothy chapter or Titus chapter 1, you'll find that there are theological qualifications there. Uh, Titus talks about being able to exhort in sound doctrine, to encourage people in sound doctrine, and to refute those that contradict it. That requires knowledge of sound doctrine, that requires critical thinking skills, it requires uh, analytical reading, it requires some ability to communicate, all of those things we seek to uh, teach in the seminary classroom. But in the book of Titus, that's one verse among many, right? Uh, there's a household that needs to be managed well, uh, self-control, being above reproach. Uh, so we believe that the local church is really at the center of what qualifies a man for ministry. So we have always sought to center our ministry there in Kenya to uh, allow it to be driven by the local church. As we have sought to do that, uh, we have uh, seen the Lord raise up uh, Kenyan leadership, uh, very skilled, very driven, and we're very excited about the way that the Lord is working in the Kenyan uh, church. Under the Kenyan leadership that we have uh, there in Nairobi, uh, I have had opportunity to join a pastoral staff at Emmanuel Baptist Church. Uh, so I am, uh, week, week by week, one of my uh, responsibilities is the normal uh, pastoral responsibilities of teaching, uh, counseling. Uh, Jenny and I have a very frequent opportunity to counsel young couples as they're preparing for marriage. Our congregation is uh, just over 400, around 450 members. And if you look at the demographic of 25 to 35, it dominates the, uh, the, the demographic of the church. Everything else is a, a small minority. And we find that a lot of our singles, for years now, really have been uh, marrying off. So Jenny and I have uh, opportunity week after week to guide couples uh, toward their wedding day, which is a delight and helps our marriage and strengthens our, our marriage. Uh, another responsibility that I have in, capac in that capacity as 
an uh, associate pastor under uh, lead pastor, Pastor Ken Bugwa at Emmanuel Baptist Church, is to help with the internship. Uh, because of the, the unique nature of our church, uh, it is attracting gifted, godly men who desire to shed the shackles of false teaching so common among Kenyan churches and to seek a biblical expository ministry with a, song, with a strong emphasis on building healthy churches. Uh, so we find men from all over Kenya who are coming uh, to our church seeking help in getting to the next level so that they can uh, do pastoral ministry themselves. Uh, so under Pastor Ken, I'm working uh, in an internship, and also uh, I teach Hebrew right now. So I, I'm in between semesters of, of Hebrew. So this uh, last January, I embarked on a fulfillment of a dream. I've never actually had the opportunity uh, to teach beyond an introductory level of biblical languages. Uh, so this is the first time I've been diving into a full year course in Hebrew. Uh, so I'm really excited about that. It's a great development in, in our ministry, and we're excited about uh, men who uh, desire to take this skill on as they seek to rightly interpret the Word of God. Speaking of rightly interpreting the Word of God, let's uh, look at Psalm 86. I appreciate what uh, Pastor Ken mentioned uh, in his prayer about uh, the joy that we have of celebrating today uh, our declaration of independence, uh, the political freedom that we have, and yet when we're praying, we are declaring our dependence. Evidently, there was a blog post about that recently, so I was actually thinking about that phrase that we could even call Psalm 86 a declaration of dependence upon our God. What I want you to keep in mind as we read this passage, we'll read the passage and then I'll pray for the, uh, for the rest of our time together. Uh, what I want you to keep in mind as we read this passage is that the structure of this psalm reflects Hebrew thought. And often within Hebrew literature, uh, even whether you're talking about narrative or poetry, you have mirroring ideas. Uh, Psalm 86 is structured with, with uh, David's petitions, his prayers, as the bookends, at the beginning and at the end. And he builds from those petitions to the center of his thought which is a summit or an apex. So keep that structure in mind as I read the text, and then I'll pray. Hear me, Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. Guard my life, for I am faithful to you. Save your servant who trusts in you. You are my God. Have mercy on me, Lord. For I call to you all day long. Bring joy to your servant, Lord, for I put my trust in you. You, Lord, are forgiving and good, abounding in love to all who call to you. Hear my prayer, Lord. Listen to my cry for mercy. When I am in distress, I call to you. 
because you answer me. And here's where the summit begins. Among the gods, there is none like you, Lord. No deeds can compare with yours. All the nations you have made will come and worship before you, Lord. They will bring glory to your name, for you are great and do marvelous deeds. You alone are God. Teach me your way, Lord, that I may rely on your faithfulness. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. I will praise you, Lord my God, with all my heart. I will glorify your name forever. For great is your love toward me. You have delivered me from the depths, from the realm of the dead. Arrogant foes are attacking me, O God. Ruthless people are trying to kill me. They have no regard for you. But you, Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Turn to me and have mercy on me. Show your strength in behalf of your servant. Save me because I serve you just as my mother did. Give me a sign of your goodness that my enemies may see it and be put to shame. For you, Lord, have helped me and comforted me. Let's pray. Lord, you are a great God, compassionate, forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. What a great and joyous promise is found in your very, in your very character. Lord, thank you for displaying both your attributes and your aims for this world in this text. I pray, Lord, that you would, through this text, comfort us, that you would encourage us, that you would show us a light at the end of the dark tunnels of our lives. Lord, I pray that you would meet with us this morning. There's only so much the announcement of the word can do Without your spirit, our work is vain. So we pray, Lord, that your spirit would attend your word and that you would be at work transforming us to the image of Christ. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. As you can see, uh, this psalm uh, is clearly a psalm that is heavy on dependence. Uh, this is a, a song of, of lament. He's crying out to God. I don't know uh, about you. Um, I know globally uh, the last 18 months have not been an especially easy time. Uh, it has been a difficult time uh, for the Pitsley family. Uh, we uh, said goodbye to a dear uh, missionary uh, partner who was working with us. They actually left on the same plane that we left on. Uh, Jonathan Moore and his family uh, are back in uh, Clarkston, Michigan. They're living in Clarkston, Michigan. He's a deacon at First Baptist Church of Lake Orion, which some of you uh, may know the name of that, that church uh, up north there. Uh, they uh, found that the job that they were seeking to do was done, the task is finished, it's time to come home and begin supporting uh, missionaries. And in fact, we stayed with them uh, in, their, uh, in their home uh, by their hospitality for six weeks 
already since we've been uh, back in the States. Dear, dear friends, it was very difficult for us to say goodbye uh, to them. It was 21st of January, so uh, a hard day, tearful uh, day for the Pitsley family. And that was, that was before 2020 really hit. Before the uh, coronavirus lockdowns, uh, we had three very active church members uh, lose loved ones. Loved ones passed away. Uh, one of them was a man that we were hoping to send out as a church planter. He's a, uh, a man in his late, I believe his late 20s. He's a father of four. He had four children under five years old, and he lost his wife very suddenly. When uh, coronavirus lockdowns began to hit, uh, one of our pastors, who's also an American, uh, was called back to the States. He was uh, involved as an attache to the, airport, uh, to the Air Force, and uh, he was called back to, uh, to serve directly from the United States. So we lost one of our pastoral, um, uh, pastoral team members. Very difficult year. And that was just at the very beginning. We spent a significant time away from one another uh, without uh, the public meeting and the public gathering. And I'm sure you know that the, the joy it is to regather and the loss that it was last year to lose that physical presence with one another. And we've sought as a church comfort from the scriptures, looking at the stories of Job and the, and the suffering of Naomi and the instructions about suffering in 1 Peter and the perplexity and confusion of, represented by a book like Habakkuk. But no book of the scriptures has been more instructive and encouraging and comforting to us than the Psalms. So my aim this morning is twofold. First, to expose you to God's aims, his purposes, as they are represented in this text. And also to encourage you, as our church in Nairobi has been encouraged by allowing the Psalms to direct our petitions before God. So this text is divided. I, I'll give you a little bit of a roadmap of, of where I'm headed. At the beginning and at the end, so verses 1 through 7 and then 14 through 17, we see David's petition. So he sets his anguish before the Lord. And woven in to his expression of anguish and affliction and neediness, he weaves into that his confidence in God's attributes. You can see uh, the attributes of God showing up in verse 5, for example, and in verse 15. As I said, the structure of the psalm works, works like bookends. We've got the petitions on both sides. And then we see the psalmist turn his eyes away from the afflictions that he's facing. He takes his heart and directs the eyes of his heart away from his anguish toward the aims of God. 
both globally and in his own heart and life. Uh, The psalmist here begins with anguish. Our cry to our creator arises from our weakness. But he doesn't stay there. He moves to God's attributes. Our cry to our creator relies on God's covenant-keeping character. And then he moves at the apex of the psalm to God's aims. Our cry to our creator submits to God's purposes. Let's dive in. Verse 1 we see, Hear me, O Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. On a day like today, we do celebrate, as Pastor Ken said, uh, our political independence. But so often it becomes true that in our lives, we live as though we are not utterly dependent upon our Creator. Uh, We live in a culture of individualism, self-sufficiency, and in many ways, it is good to work with your hands and to produce enough to be able to give to others. And yet, through all of that work, there should be an acknowledgement like the psalmist here, that before God, we have nothing to offer. Nothing that we can use as spiritual currency to gain his favor. Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. And that's precisely what David is being here. Hear me, Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. Jesus taught us to depend upon the Lord for our daily sustenance to depend on God for forgiveness of sins, to depend on God to lead us not into temptation. Jesus taught us to pray, Lord, do not lead me past where I can withstand. Jesus taught us to pray that. Jesus, in Luke chapter 5, taught us that it is not the healthy who need a doctor. And the psalmist directs us and guides our petition such that we don't pretend before God to be something that we are not. We don't make a pretense of self-sufficiency before our God. Before God, we are poor and needy. We call on him all day long. Now, certainly there's something to be said for a discipline of prayer. For making a plan, setting a time of day, thinking about a place where we can meet with God, where we can sit down with our Bibles and hear him from the word and speak to him in prayer. That discipline is is a good discipline. And yet it is when we are desperate that prayers become second nature to us. They flow when we really understand our circumstances the way they really are, the way that God, our maker, sees them, we see that we are poor and needy. We won't have time to go through each verse, uh, obviously, during our time together today, but I want to direct your attention 
uh, to verse 2, where he also appeals not only to his need, but to his faithfulness. I am faithful to you. Guard my life, for I am faithful to you. Save your servant who trusts in you. Uh, this word faithful is an interesting word. Uh, if you compare translations, uh, the various translations like English Standard Version or New King James Version, you'll find that there's actually different translations. Holy, godly, for this word faithful. And the reason it's a very difficult word to translate, it's actually a word that uh, through the course of history has resulted in the English word that we have, Hasidic. If you've ever heard of a Hasidic Jew, it's an observant Jew, a Jew who still continues to faithfully keep to the customs of, of the elders. And it's not merely keeping to custom that the psalmist is appealing to here, but rather he is pointing to his membership within the covenant community. In fact, this word, faithful, is a counterpart word to love in verse 5. You, Lord, are forgiving and good, abounding in love to all who call to you. So love and faithfulness are, are words that in the original are directly related to each other, like husband and wife. And, and David here is claiming his relationship with this God. I'm not an outsider, Lord. I'm, I'm, I've been brought into a covenant relationship with you. Rather than pointing to merit, it's pointing to God's grace and bringing this person, this psalmist, David, into relationship with him. But this may leave us in a, in a depressing spot. We see how poor and needy we are. If we were to concentrate only on our anguish, we'd be left in that very uh, dark place. Just before the service, I was speaking with uh, Dr. Combs, and he was talking about a, a pastoral situation where, where someone was struggling to believe that God has forgiven them. And that's, that's precisely where this psalm does not leave us. This person recognizes that they're poor and needy. They need God's forgiveness. And the psalmist moves directly on to say, you, Lord, are forgiving and good. He moves from his anguish to God's attributes and rests his requests on the attributes of God. Our cry to our Creator does not merely arise from our weakness. It relies on God's covenant-keeping character. You, Lord, are forgiving and good, abounding in love to all who call upon upon you, all who call to you. In the mirror verse in verse 15 says, you, Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. I'm glad, uh, Pastor Ken, was that you who picked uh, Exodus 34? So perfect text. This Exodus 34 that you just heard, I implore you to take a look at it again. Uh, this is a fundamental, foundational 
statement of faith text for the people of Israel. When God revealed his name, capital L-O-R-D, to Moses in that text, he clearly gave such a beautiful picture of who he is. And it had a profound effect on Israel as a people. You find citation of that text all throughout the rest of the Bible. You find allusions to that text in Numbers, in Deuteronomy, in 2 Samuel, in 2 Kings, in Jeremiah, in Isaiah, in Jonah, in Micah, in Nahum, in other Psalms other than this one, Lamentations, Daniel, 2 Chronicles, Nehemiah, this Exodus 34 God is the God that had a, prof- a profound effect on the people of Israel. God revealed himself as a God of compassion, a God who is quick to forgive. Yet if you were attending closely when we were listening to that text, there was a verse 7. So the psalmist here cites verse 6, God is quick to forgive. Verse 7, Exodus 34, 7 says that he will not let the guilty go unpunished. There's a little bit of a tension in that text. How is it that God can be quick to forgive and yet not let the guilty go unpunished? That was a tension that this profound passage of Exodus 34, that that tension was planted in the heart of every believing Israelite for centuries building up to the point of the Lord Jesus Christ, who showed God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son. It showed the love of God. It showed his readiness to forgive. How is it that he can forgive and yet not let the guilty go unpunished? That is why Jesus had to die. Jesus lived a perfect life in our place. He died the death that we deserve. And so God does not let the guilty go unpunished, but rather he has provided a substitute to suffer that punishment in our place. And because we have this substitute, we can call upon this same God. We have been brought into relationship with him. We have that covenant appeal with our God. He is forgiving and good to us. He abounds in covenant love to us. All that God is, is for us because of Jesus. This is where the psalmist rests his claim. It's interesting that the way that he has structured this psalm that he doesn't stop with his petition and grounding that petition in God's nature. He has his longing, his desire, his despair, his anguish, his need. And he says, Lord, you are good. Help. But that's not where he stops. And Jesus taught us not to stop there either. In fact, Jesus teaches us to pray beginning, hallowed be your name. 
Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is precisely what the psalmist is doing. Among the gods, there is none like you. No deeds compare with yours. All the nations you have made will come and worship before you. The psalmist lifts up his eyes from his immediate need, his immediate circumstances, the immediate urgency of his time, and he sees God's aim. He sees God's purposes. And God's purposes are neither narrow nor shallow. And we'll take a look at both his global purposes and his purposes for us as individuals. In verses 8 through 10, we see his global purposes. All the nations you have made will come and worship you. This draws upon the chapters, the early chapters of the book of Genesis in David's Bible, his Torah, his, his book of Genesis would have had those uh, clear accounts of creation of Adam and Eve and the table of nations in Genesis chapter 10 where all of these uh, nations are set out and, and the Tower of Babel in, in Genesis 11 where God deliberately spreads them around the earth by giving them different languages. His Bible also has the promise in the next chapter that all the families of the earth would be blessed through Abraham. We have the joy of going much further than just Genesis chapter 12. We can take a look at passages like Revelation 11 that talk about how every kindred, tongue, people, and nation will bow before the Lamb worshiping because He has redeemed them by His own blood. This is the plan of our God. So in the midst of our difficulty, in the midst of our challenges, in the midst of the struggle, we can lift our eyes to the horizon and say, God's going to get the job done. Ultimately, there are going to be a people, and by God's grace I'll be among them, who are glorified and glorifying our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, on that bright and brilliant and glorious day. That all of the struggles that have arisen from differences among us, whether it's race or economics, or politics, all of that will be set aside to prize and worship and rejoice in this Jesus. You see, David is of the conviction that because there is only one true and living God, that there ultimately will be no competitors standing against him. Now, today we see potential competitors, right? We might be dependent, or we might be uh, tempted to depend on the almighty dollar. Or we might find satisfaction and rejoicing and luxury. Or set our hopes on Capitol Hill. There are potential competitors in this era, aren't there? 
Yet on the final day, because there is only one true and living God, then among the nations, none of God's competitors will win. All will be defeated. Whether we're talking about Allah or the almighty dollar, Buddha or BMW, Krishna or Capitol Hill, all of God's competitors will be set aside and we will take joy in the Lamb. He's going to get it done. Christian, in the midst of your struggle, in the midst of the difficulty, cast your eyes to the horizon, cast your confidence on your Creator. But God's purposes and aims for this world are not merely broad, they are deep. Look at verse 11. Teach me your way, Lord, that I may rely on your faithfulness. Give me an undivided heart, <coughs> excuse me, that I may fear your name. I will praise you, Lord my God, with all my heart. I will glorify your name forever. David submits his will to the Lord's will. In the midst of his struggle, he says, whatever you're doing, God, do it. I have all of these desires about my current situation and how I want my current situation to change. And I'm not being shy about those. I'm not pretending I don't have those desires. I'm not pretending I don't have those needs. I'm coming before you with them. And yet, Lord, I'm asking my ultimate request, unite my Heart. Bring all of those desires into submission to one desire to know you and make you known. Teach me your way. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. It is God's purpose to bring uncontested, gracious authority all over the globe. And it is God's purpose to work undistracted, grateful worship in our hearts. And by his grace, for his glory, he will accomplish his purposes. Because we have this great confidence in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of need, in the midst of the poverty of our circumstances, whatever they may be, we can cast our confidence on our Creator. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray, Lord, that you would work in our hearts by your Spirit to unite our hearts to fear your name, that there would be no greater joy for us than to know you and make you known. Lord, I pray that you would bring into our lives a glad submission to your aims, even as we seek to bring our anguish before you. We pray this in your Son's name. Amen.
accomplished you have done for us and any fruit we harvest is a gift from your hand we are only jars of clay that hold a priceless treasure Cross of Christ. 